Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by From Within Records out of Florida. I'm super excited to be working with them. They have an awesome comp dropping in the month of August called the One Scene Unity Comp. And I'm really, really excited to check that out. I know there's a lot of awesome bands that are working on it, such as Age of Apocalypse, Despise, Morning, Simulacra, Restraining Order, Shackled, Youth Collapse, Envision, Seed of Pain, Choice to Make, Dead Heat, Killing Me, Hangman, My Chaos, Sheer Force, Out for Justice, and Last Straw. So many awesome bands that I just named off, and I really like the idea of what they're doing. I'm all for unity. That's a dream of mine. I, I I would love for us to move as one unit, and it would just, in my opinion, be like way more awesome. But uh, that's dropping next month. So please do yourself a favor. Go check out From Within Records. Go follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and keep an eye out for that comp dropping in August. But today, my guest, John Bowes, drums for CDC. You might have seen him play with Daylight back in the day. Uh, he is an owner of Cold Cuts Merch. It's been a long time coming. John and I have been going back and forth. And I'm not joking when I say this. We've been going back and forth all year trying to schedule this podcast and get it working. And I understand that he's been really busy, obviously running a business and managing um, his band. So I was just willing to be flexible. I'm like, all right, whenever you're ready to go, like, let's do it. And like, literally, like after six months, we finally were able to get it done. And funny thing is, this was uh, what you're about to listen to was our second attempt at doing the podcast when we were recording it the first time, me being an idiot, like in like literally like five minutes into the podcast, I spilled like half a water bottle on my keyboard, which I thought wasn't a big deal because like a couple of days prior I had spilled an entire coffee on my keyboard and it worked completely fine. So uh, I, I mentioned it to, to John. I was like, Hey, I just spilled water on my keyboard, but it should be okay. And literally like 15 minutes into the conversation, my keyboard just started going haywire, started like flashing. It, it's an, um, it wasn't, led keyboard and it started flashing and i was like oh shit oh no this is like like not right and like i felt like the ship was sinking um and i was like oh shit like i don't know what to do and i, I started to panic because i'm like i've like tried so hard to get this podcast to happen and we we're finally in the moment and i'm like oh shit my keyboard this is just my luck and then sure enough uh my keyboard went from blinking crazy to just doing random commands on my computer and it eventually just shut down my computer and I thought maybe if I just unplugged it and plug it back in, it would be fine. But I booted up in bios and like my keyboard was just dead and I was like so bummed and embarrassed. And luckily I called John and explained him the situation and he was super understanding and we rescheduled for uh, just a couple days later and it, it worked out. I, I had an awesome time talking to him, uh, you know, fan of CDC fan of his business. And I was just really happy that, um, I got to pick his brain and we just had an awesome conversation and seriously, it's just a relief that we finally got it done. He's an awesome guy and I'm glad I was able to talk to him. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So please, without further ado, welcome John Bose to the podcast.
right, and we're back. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hello. Thank you for having me. No, I just want to uh, thank you for actually being down to reschedule because there was this incident when we first tried to record. So I'm, I'm just really happy that we're able to reschedule it and you were down to come back on. So thank you. I, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm glad that we were able to make this happen and pretty swiftly as well. Yes, yeah, cause we, we've been kind of going back and forth for a pretty long time uh, trying to get this done. So, uh, yeah, I'm really stoked that we're finally here and, and we're getting it done. Same, same. Okay, so um, you played a, a band called CDC, and I, I know we, we talked about it a little, a little bit last time, but I, I kind of wanted to recap. You guys uh, last put out a record in, was it uh, 2015? And... Things have been a little quiet on your end, so I was just curious, um, you know, uh, what's the current state of CDC, and is there a chance we can um, hear new music in the near future? For sure. Um, yeah, I think that record came out in um, 2014 at some point, so, somewhere around there. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure at this point, but um, yeah, that was, what, a solid six years ago or so? Um, as of right now, we unfortunately do not have any plans to put out new music. Uh, we're kind of going through some internal turmoil, if you will, uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do and what the future is going to be, uh, just because, you know, everything gets in the way. Um, but, yeah, right now there's unfortunately no plans for new music. Yeah, you guys have been a band since uh, like around 2003. So uh, I, I hope you guys are able to get through it and, uh, you know, get back to writing some new music because I feel like, uh, you know, it, it's been a pretty decent amount of time since the last record. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who would uh, like to hear new music from you guys. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's been some time. Yeah, it has been 2003. Uh, but I mean, as long as we hold out one more year uh, next year, We'll be 18 years of being a band, and we'll have 18 songs total. So we'll have a song for every year. So in my opinion, that's pretty good. So. Yeah, uh, not, uh, bands don't really stick around for that long too often. Like a lot of bands, uh, I feel like have a, a shorter length of life. They normally pop up, uh, you know, have like a demo or maybe an EP from the jump, and maybe have one or two full lengths, and then uh, they just kind of call it quits after that. So for uh, CDC to be around for so long, I, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy for sure. Um, we've definitely had our ups and downs, and you know, like a decade ago, we thought we were breaking up like every other six months or so, which was kind of foolish on our end, but. Um, you know, we kind of got over that breaking up thing or last tour business that we kind of shelled out here and there back then. And I kind of was just like, I don't think we'll ever actually break up. So there's no point in saying that any longer. But No, that, that's yeah, cool. It's, it's been a ride. For sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a cool choice because, uh, you know, people who are bands who break up, uh, they eventually come back at some point to do some kind of show. So I, I think it's cool to, for you guys to kind of get away from that. So you don't have to make, you know, a, an, an announcement like, Oh, like we're back. We're going to do like a run of shows or we're back. Here's a new record. And like, don't forget about us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And like I said, we, we definitely did that a couple times, like a decade ago. And looking back, I see flyers. They're like last, last tour. And I, and I kind of feel like an idiot for, 
having said that we were going to be breaking up back then. So I I don't say that at all anymore. So learning okay. experience for sure. Okay, so I, just a couple things about the band. Um, I was curious about uh, your guys' like uh, newer logo. I, I'm like looking at it, and I'm just kind of curious, like where that came from and what it means. Certainly. So that newer logo is um, a concept, I believe, that Brooke had created, who is uh, our singer. He's done every record. Um, he's kind of all been mainly uh, the studio guy. He hasn't done a lot of tours, but he's written all the lyrics for CDC ever. So, um, but yeah, it was kind of like his concept, and if I'm getting it correct, um, it's supposed to represent the end of the world, and it's supposed to be the earth, like, breaking apart. That's supposed to be like the, the, the water and the land separating and I guess like the earth dying, so especially the end, which is why it works with the record ends. Yeah. Okay. No, that yeah. that, that that totally makes sense. Like you, you breaking down and now I me mean, looking at it, it makes total sense. And now I can see that like way more clearly because I, I was trying to like figure it out on my own. I'm like, what does this even mean? Like you know. But thanks for breaking it down because now yeah, I, I can see it clearly. People were trying to figure out how it spelled CDC at first, and I was like, I, it doesn't. It's not supposed to say the band name. It's just supposed to be like a symbol. And I always thought it would be cool, obviously a little late in the game, to have something come out as you've been a band for 11 years. But, um, you know, to have like a symbol that, you know, can kind of become iconic and represent the band in a way. So that's why I kind of really put it out there uh, branding-wise because I wanted to have some sort of symbol for people to uh, associate the band with as well. Yeah, that's really smart because before the new logo, I always uh, when I thought of CDC, like the logo that came to mind was the just the letters like inside the wreath. Yeah, the laurels. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean that that was a classic. We used that uh, for a very long time. Um, I mean, it's been, basically been our main logo probably since 2005, and uh-huh. before that we had that stencil stencil version with like the boxing gloves and stuff. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely been the, like our mainstay as far as logos and that laurel thing. So I was trying to figure out how to incorporate both together, which I don't think I don't think they were very cohesive together, and I don't think it worked super well. Um, that's why the new the newest record had like a different font on it and stuff that worked better with the layout. Um, but and I and I tried to do that logo did like solo on flyers and stuff. I think it just confused people. So. But you know, whatever. Okay, and uh, I, I like uh, went back on YouTube and was watching like live sets from you guys, and I, I couldn't uh, find like a, a more recent video of you guys playing your your old intro. Uh, did you guys just scrap that from the live set? Did you ever play that again? Uh, which do you know which intro that is exactly? It's the one that we have recorded. I do remember you guys having it recorded, but um, I, I, I hope we're talking about the same intro. Yeah, I mean, we could, yeah, we could have, we could have done a couple things. Um, the one that we have recorded, we kind of used as an outro more. It's called Jungle Beat on the one record that was mainly an outro. Um, I don't know, you know, we've 
we've started our set usually with either like ten American Dixon or something. Um, or recently we've been starting it with the the first track off end. But um, yeah, there there have been times in the past that we did have a little bit of a an intro, but it never really went anywhere. It was just kind of like a uh, a song that we had started writing way back when that never you know got to fruition. So. Um, I think I know what you're talking about, um, but I'm not 100% sure. You'll have to send me the, the video link later so I can check it out. Okay, for sure. Or wait, you said you couldn't find it, right? Yeah, no, I, I was like looking because there were like old videos of you guys playing it live. Um, and I'm not like old, like probably like, you know, like early 2000s, but like, you know, that was like early yeah. YouTube days. So like, I, I don't even think there are like on the internet um, that are easy uh, to find. I'll try and find something. I might have a recording of it. Uh, like a demo recording or something, um, I'll send it to you and you can confirm or deny if that's what you're speaking about. Okay, hell yeah, thank you. Um, but man, uh, uh, so I, I'm always uh, curious about how uh, people got into hardcore, uh, especially someone like you who's uh, so involved. So can you talk about uh, the first time you like you know found out about hardcore and how you actually got into the music and started going to shows? Yeah, um, I was not fortunate enough to have like an older brother or anything uh like i, I know a, a lot of people have those kind of stories but uh ba basically with I, I i went to uh my first show i was in uh 10th grade uh w one of my friends uh from middle school was essentially just playing in a band that was playing the show um and he invited me to come and uh, he, he was in this metal band, um, and it was, they were just like a local metal band that were not super good, and uh, they were playing this local show at the middle school across the street from our high school, because uh, we had a lot of shows in the middle school gymnasium, and I went to that show, and that was my first experience of a show just in general, and this band called Inkling was from Lansdale played and I thought they were awesome they weren't you know they're not necessarily a like straight hardcore band at all but they're definitely um, you know uh, an underground hardcore band so to speak with you know, varying different degrees of influences but um, once I saw them I got pretty hooked and started going to more shows and wanted to check out other bands and then as you, you're probably very well aware, especially when you're, you know, a teenager, it just becomes a very slippery slope. And anything that that could be like under the umbrella, you're just like checking out and listening to. And uh, from there, I just started going to more shows and listening to a lot more bands, and it just it just kept building. And it was it was a very exciting time to to listen to music for me. So it was awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like when I was uh, way younger and first getting into it. I didn't care who was playing the show. I just wanted to go and be there, uh, you know, and um, if there was an off chance that there yeah. was going to be a band that I liked, cool. But if not, I just wanted to go and just kind of experience and just try to like, uh, just kind of figure out what this like subculture was. And I, yep. and I, I never really kind of thought about like, you know, uh, at what point in my life did, did it kind of happen where I'm like, okay, where I, I became a little more picky. Like, obviously like I, I've been going to shows forever and, I, I'm an adult now, so I, I have a, like way more responsibilities than when I was a kid. Um, but 
I, it, it was just weird because like I, I still love going to shows. I I, I love seeing uh, bands live. I, I I love showing up early and um, you know checking out bands I've never heard of or ever seen live. But um, yeah, but, but it's like this weird thing because like now like I I feel like I I don't go to as many shows as I did before. Obviously because I I have like my my time is very limited, so it's just like a yeah like a, like a strange thing. But uh, I I don't think I'll ever stop going to hardcore shows as long as I'm able to. Uh, agreed agreed um and and you know i feel like when you're first listening to it and you know especially if you're a you're a teenager uh you're so impressionable and and everything you listen to is is exciting and it and it's, it's all new and it's fresh and you listen to like everything and um you know i agree it's kind of hard to distinguish when you start getting pickier um but I think to a degree, that's something that I've tried to really not do. Um, you know, there was probably a time where, where I started getting really picky. But as, uh, you know, I've kept growing up, I've also become more open-minded to things and tried to become more accepting of new bands that I haven't heard yet as well. And so at the same time, I feel like I've expanded my horizons as well and, and started enjoying a lot of bands that I wouldn't have previously. Of course, every band is not going to resonate, but um, I feel like I'm a lot more open-minded than I was 10 years ago, probably more along the lines of how I was, you know, as a teenager now. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like for me, when I first started uh, going to hardcore shows, uh, like, because I, I was talking about how, uh, like, all the subgenres of hardcore, um, I feel like each one kind of has like their own time in the spotlight. Like, I feel like it's a cycle with like, which one's like more popular, um, you know, at, at a certain time. So I feel like when I first started, uh, I was kind of in like the realm of like where the heavier bands were like way more popular and like, you know, Christian hardcore at the time. So uh, just kind of, you know, from starting there and kind of uh, just seeing kind of everything come and go from like the early 2000s to now, it, it's something like pretty interesting and uh, always strange to me when uh, people are like, super close-minded about the type of music they listen to like uh you know like they just like absolutely hate uh you know one type of hardcore uh, but it's just like dude like i know yeah. bands th that you listen to that sound like these other bands that you claim to hate it, it's like it's, it's kind of funny to me no yeah for sure um a lot of people are guilty of that without even truly realizing it um but one thing that i'll say which is i don't know if other people feel this way as, as well but i can go to a show and pretty much enjoy every band that I see play. Um, you know, it, 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 I, I can pretty much jive with almost any hardcore band or heavy band that I watch play, but it definitely doesn't mean that I'll be able to listen to them outside of the show setting. Um, it's interesting because, like, I'll see bands that I never listen to, and I enjoy them, but then if I try and listen to them outside of a show, like on my free time or something, you know, while driving around or whatever, it's... It, it doesn't resonate the same way. And, like, there's definitely a lot of bands for me that are, are cool to watch in a show, but I won't listen to outside, if that makes any sense. No, I, I definitely feel you on that one because uh, certain bands uh, bring, like, a certain energy to their live performance, and sometimes I feel like... Uh, on record it doesn't translate as well like sometimes like i i don't want to listen to you know a breakdown after breakdown after breakdown while i'm like you know on a yeah. drive somewhere it's like I, i'd rather listen to something else so there's only some bands that like i i do um, see what you're saying like that I, I would prefer to see them live versus uh you know putting on their record yeah yeah for sure 
Okay, uh, and uh, w- one thing I've always been curious about you is, uh, like, I-, I know y- you play the drums. Uh, were you always interested in the drums, or is that something that just kind of uh, you know you stumbled upon? Yeah, um, drums were, and I guess as far as like a, an instrument that I selected, drums are uh, my my only passion, if you will. Uh, I thought it'd be cool to play guitar, but. I have not had an opportunity to even think about trying to learn guitar. Um, but I've always played drums uh, since, like, seventh grade. I or Yeah, it was probably around seventh grade is when I got a drum set. And, um, you know, it, I've always just been the drummer. I've been the dude that plays drums in the band and uh, never any other instrument. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we, we need a drummer, so someone's got to learn how to play drums. So it was always my choice to do so it was never like i was backed into a corner in some band setting but um yeah it's i love it and i hate it simultaneously um just because there's so much like so much equipment i feel like it's the most expensive stuff but um and i take the longest to set up the breakdown but uh you know i love it uh you know i love beating the shit out of my drums and it's it's probably my favorite thing to do so yeah, drumming's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like when uh, there's like talks of like starting bands, I always feel like uh, trying to find a drummer has always been like the most challenging for me. So I, I think it's kind of cool that yeah. y- you played like that important role, and you know you're able to fill that spot pretty easy for anybody who's looking for one. Yeah, I feel like that was. Uh, I think that's a common theme in a lot of places. Uh, I believe in like you know my local Doylestown scene. I think that was a pretty common trend for a long time i feel like there was only four drummers really in the area and everyone was always in bands um some of them were in numerous bands such as uh, kyle kimball who you may know i feel like he's always played in four bands at a time but um yeah uh, it's, it's drumming school but it's definitely not as uh common as like a guitar player or a bass player for sure and uh what do you remember what your first band was that that you played in oh yeah for sure um i i had a band in middle school called fallout with my two best friends uh, who lived in my neighborhood with me Uh, we essentially were just a now i i don't we don't have any recordings of anything so it's it's most likely a very very pathetic attempt at covering Jimi hendrix songs uh, especially on my end, and uh, I think we wrote one original song, but it was like we did like silver chair covers and tried to do a Jimi Hendrix song or two, and that that's all it really was was just jamming and trying to play other people's songs. That's awesome, and just curious, uh, the name Fallout uh, was that like a reference to the video game, or was that just something you guys came up with? Um, I don't remember 100%. I think it was my friend Steve who came up with the name just because uh, he thought explosions were cool. Um, and this was, I mean, this was hell uh, 98 or something like that when we had this band. So um, it was like it's over 20 years ago at this point, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was long before that game even existed i think i don't know i've never played that game so 
Okay, that's that's crazy. That's a long time, man. Like, I, I never even thought about starting a band until like after high school. So I think it's pretty crazy that you know you and your friends were you know getting to it like that early on in, in middle school. Yeah. Um, after that, I had a uh, pretty not good new metal band that I had uh, with some friends, and then after that, I started a metalcore band, which was probably my first mildly successful band. And um, I feel like in my area, because I'm from Doylestown, uh, I feel like in our area there wasn't really shows going on at the time. There were there were no real local bands started at the time. And um, Ellipsis was one of the few bands that kind of started all similarly in the, in the same time that really started getting the ball rolling with a lot of shows. And it was really cool. Uh, growing up in Doylestown uh, as far as going to shows because we didn't have any venues so like everything was like a house show or a garage show or a barn show a basement show like anything we could do uh, there was there was no venue so we just had to make our own venues so we played a lot of places like played some of the back deck one time like anything it was it was awesome that's wild but that's cool that uh back then kids were like so into it and wanting to keep it going that they're willing to just book a show anywhere and i, I feel like i, I kind of miss yeah. that because these days um like th- there's still some diy venues that I-, I go to like there's a local skate shop in fullerton that is awesome they're like super down to have shows which i think is cool but i, I felt like when i first started going to shows like i was like showing up to like you know random like restaurants or like ymcas or uh, i remember there's this venue in riverside yeah. it was like somebody converted a like like two storage units into a, like a makeshift venue which was like the craziest thing oh that's awesome yeah that, that's really awesome yeah i played some crazy venues throughout the years but i think the coolest thing the coolest place we had a show in doylestown was uh, a bunch of us worked at a boston market oh wow. and someone i don't i don't remember who convinced the manager to let us have a show there after the after the store closed and a show happened and uh these two local bands played and uh, i think it was dead again and hope is our shield and they just i think they let in like 50 people or 75 people and there was like a ton of people standing outside just like booking in um but it was it was awesome it was it was so awesome that's crazy. Like, so I've never been inside a Boston market, but I, I, I just imagine it having like, you know, booths that are like bolted into the ground. Um, what, what was the setup like? That, 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 that's pretty insane to like have a show inside a restaurant like that. Yeah. I mean, th- thankfully there were no booths there. It was all just tables and chairs. So they were, it was all really easy to slide out of the way. Um, and I, I only got to stay for the one band because I was working uh, two jobs at the time. I was working at a gas station overnight, so I had to go to my other job uh, after the first band played. But uh, yeah, it was it was cool. I remember like a day or two later watching some of the footage on the security cam, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's wild because I, I feel like it, that kind of reminds me of um uh, like I think it was like maybe a year or two ago that there was like that band that popped that off. Denny's? In a, yeah, it popped off in that Denny's. I'm like, what the yeah. hell is going on? This is this is insane. You know, you know, very uh, recently, within the last couple of years, there was a ton of shows at this place, like a chicken place in Jersey, called Cluck You. 
it it was like an active restaurant. Yes, yeah. And there's there's a ton of videos of bands playing there. Uh, like I think the last show they had was like a year ago or something like that. But I definitely wanted to play there because I've just always been all about playing in super weird places. Yeah, no, that sounds insane. Like I'm always just curious. Like like do they, do they have to like wait till the business was over or are they serving chicken during the show or or what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, I never got to go, but my assumption is it was after business had concluded for the day. But it'd be super weird if it if it wasn't, but it sure seemed like it was. Yeah, imagine trying to go pick up like a family chicken meal and you stroll into a hardcore show. People would be so confused and like you know, like you're thinking like there's like a big fight breaking out or something because they just would not understand what like moshing was or this heavy music. Yeah, it, it'd be awesome. That's crazy. Uh, so you started um, the, those bands you talked about. At what point did you uh, uh, stumble upon CDC? Like, how did you guys come together and uh, start that band in the early 2000s? So uh, that other band, that metalcore band I was talking about, uh, called Ellipsis, um, we were probably together for almost two years. And near uh, the summer we started in 2002 that's when we wrote our demo and then in 2003 we kind of started touring around that summer um like doing late weekends and stuff like that um and our singer at some point wound up quitting and once he quit we obviously needed to replace him and that's when i got connected with brooke and brooke wound up filling in for Ellipsis at the end uh, for for a couple shows, a couple weekends, I believe. And then I, I met Brendan, who's the guitar player. I think I met Brendan before that, but I met Brendan and Brooke pretty much the same time. And Brooke started singing for Ellipsis. And then Brendan and Brooke and I would hang out, and they were eventually just like, hey, we got this idea uh, you know, for a band. We've been kind of writing things and Brendan had some studio time through a friend. Uh, do you want to write a demo or whatever? Like, that's pretty much how it started. And um, we got together and we wrote songs and we played a show after we only had like two songs. Um, but it was the like the last weekend that Ellipsis played its shows was the first weekend that TDC played a show. So they crossed over there at the very end, but then once CDC finished his demo and like I was just like yo this this music is awesome we should start playing shows and we pretty much just started playing shows right then and there so that's how it spawned it spawned kind of from the ashes of the, uh, from Ellipsis as it was kind of dying and uh, do you remember uh, what year CDC first came out west yes oh yeah um, so our first tour out west, we played uh, January 5th at the Showcase in Corona, January 5th, 2005. Um, and that show was um, Guns Up, uh, Life, Life for Death played first. Uh, we were on tour with Ten Crowns, I believe. And it was the, I think it was the Guns Up, Have Heart. Um, oh, fuck. I don't remember who else played. The, the, all I remember is the same drummer 
played in all three of the touring bands. That's that's insane. <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot it of was, work. Yeah, I think I think it was. I feel like it was Guns Up Half Heart and um, I think it was Half Heart. Man, Outbreak or something. I don't know, something like that. Um, and that was the show that we played, and that was the only show we played in California on that tour. We were supposed to have a couple other, but. Uh, CC was notorious for showing up very late to things, and um, we definitely missed a show or two because of that. But yeah, January fifth, two thousand five, was our first show out in California. Okay, because I'm trying to remember the first time I saw you guys, and I'm like, I, I know it was definitely around that time, but I. I I, I definitely didn't see you guys at the showcase theater because I, I remember uh, I seeing you guys with like I, I think you guys might have played with like this band called Seven Front War. I don't know if you remember them from like Downey. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. We okay. So then, so um, I have a whole list on my computer that that I could bring up later to find it. But I remember playing with Seven Front War a lot. Um, Danny was in that band. Um, and I'm actually I actually still talk to Danny a lot, but um. So we came out later that year in July. I don't remember the exact date, but we played in we played at the Studio Seven, I think it was in North Hollywood. Okay. Is that what it's called or Hangar? Yeah. Something. We played there, um, and then we also played some place out in. Uh, we played at Tinicum Church in Redlands. Okay, that was an awesome church. And. And then we also played at some place in San Bernardino that was very close to a uh, a movie theater. Okay. Because I walked there to go to the bathroom. That's but wild. Those those were the three places that we played later that year in July. But then I remember playing some ridiculous show with Scare Tactic. I think in 2006 in Fullerton um, at some cafe. Um, and then it was it was just a you know a, a, a bombardment of California shows after that, um, so I kind of forget things after that. But those first several times out there are completely ingrained in my brain. Yeah, I, so. I I definitely missed the first year you guys came out because I remember watching those videos of you guys playing up in North Hollywood and like tripping out, like seeing like, holy yeah. crap, like CDC actually made it out West. Like, how did I miss this? So I, I definitely made it a point to see you guys the next time you guys came out after that. So, uh, I, I felt like, yeah, that. go ahead. I was going to say that that tour that we played in North Hollywood, that was, um, such a quick tour. Uh, we literally did a two week tour from our place back to there. Like it was crazy. Um, I think if I can remember the routing correctly, uh, the first show was in Nashville. The second show, oh no, the first show was in, um, Arkansas. The first show was in Arkansas. Well, the second show was in Lubbock. The third show was in, uh, Tucson. And then we played three SoCal shows, a NorCal show, and then we hit like Reno, Denver, uh, and just like headed right back. We were only gone for two weeks. It was crazy. Yeah, that that is crazy, um, especially like back then. And yeah, you know, you guys only been in a band for a couple of years. So, uh, do you remember like why you guys booked that tour? Did you guys just want to get out and hit the road and see what it was like, or did you guys have like that like fan base built already where people were like asking you guys to come out and play these shows? Uh, we may have had people asking us to come out and play, but I've just always 
wanted to play. Um, so, you know, I booked pretty much every single tour that we've ever done. Um, and I just was like, I want to go play. I, I just always wanted to go play. That's all I wanted to do was play shows. So, and I, I still worked at the gas station for the first several years. Up until 2006, I had a job either at a gas station working overnight or um, 7-Eleven working overnight. And I would literally just work all night and look at a map and plan tours and call people. Uh, like, if there's anyone that books shows back there and back then that you know of now and they dealt with me, I'm sure you could ask them and they would tell you that I would call them at, like, 3 in the morning. Because I was up all night, and I would just use that time to try and book these tours. And I would badger people. I was probably so annoying, but whatever. I got I got tours booked, and I, and I had a blast on the road. Like, that's all I wanted to do. So, I mean, I'm sure there were people out there that wanted to see us, because um, obviously they booked us. But, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to crush the road, and that's what we did for years, like year after year. And I think that's how we... Uh, gain the following that we have you know we don't have any sort of huge following by any means but uh, we definitely had like a really nice underground following that was i felt pretty strong and um you know it was it was awesome it was it was super cool to see that experience so and I'm always curious, uh, how, how did you manage to, uh, you know, juggle your, your actual job with like hitting the road so often? Did, did you have to, uh, you know, get time off or, like approved or did you like end up like quitting jobs like, you know, between tours? Well, for like I was saying, for a long time, I worked at this gas station and, um, you know, gas stations generally have a very difficult time keeping employees. Um, and I worked the overnight shift most of the time. So that's even harder to kind of fill. And they kind of just let me come and go as I please for a while. And uh, eventually um, they did terminate me for going away too much. But that's when I went across the street and started working at the 7-Eleven. I probably worked there for a year. Uh, and then the summer or fall of 2006 is when I quit for good. And that was like the last time I actually held a job it was in the summer, late summer, early fall of 2006. Uh, we were we were about to embark on a tour with Fight Like Hell that was literally two months long, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving." So, actually, wait, actually, you know what? I think that tour was a little bit later. I think the tour. Uh, no, I don't remember anymore. I think it was the Fight Like Hell tour. But yeah, I, I wound up quitting. And, that's the last I ever like worked a real job. So. That's wild. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. But that's cool that you were just you know determined enough to just be like fuck it. I'm, I'm gonna you know hit the road and just kind of do what I want instead of just uh, you know uh, letting the job hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know I was still still quite young. I lived at home. Um, I didn't have many bills, and that's. I mean, that's the, that's the time you got to tour, you know, you can't, it's very difficult to tour when you have overhead. And I was fortunate enough to be able to stay at home and not have that overhead. I mean, I was gone seemingly half the year for a long time, but it, it definitely assisted with that and helped me in a way like, you know, live my dream of being able to tour. 
So it was, it was very cool. And, you know, I appreciate that, what my mom did for me, you know, all the time. So. Yeah. And you uh, briefly mentioned uh, Fight Like Hell. And that's one band that I like absolutely love. I, I was fortunate enough to have been able to see them like a bunch of times. I was um, with them at their uh, last show in Denver. Uh, can you talk about um, how you guys ended up going on tour with them for such a long time? Yes. Uh, so uh, Memphis, Andrew, uh, is a very good friend of mine now. He lived in Denver, obviously, um, and pretty much was like the, the dude who did everything in Denver for a good amount of time. Uh, you know, at least the, the the face of Denver and uh, he booked us every time we came through and he and I just developed this amazing bond and amazing friendship and when his old band kind of broke up and Fight Like Hell started uh, he showed me and I thought it was awesome we started we just started playing shows together like immediately I think the beginning of 2006 we they were on one of their first tours and we were on tour as well down south and we played a show together in north carolina and i think in florida maybe and then we were like we got to do this later this year so we decided to book a tour later that year and he at the time was also uh kind of like a booking agent he was he was trying to get his a booking agency off the ground i think he was booking for the Double or Nothing bands at the time and kind of booking Folsom and maybe another band or two. So he and I were both kind of booking nerds at the time and decided to try and do some crazy, super long tour. And we essentially decided to book a tour that was like almost two months long. And it was very awesome, but uh, it was a very long time to be on the road, that's for sure. But it was pretty easy for me. Um, I don't know why I've always had no real issues going away on tour for any extended period of time so but yeah it was a it was a very cool tour that was one of a couple i think i did another two uh, like two month long tour um actually i did that two month long tour with fight like hell was actually for us i think a little bit longer and then i know i did we did a two month long tour with terror once and Jeffy was honor and then we did a two month long tour with sworn enemy in Europe um, but that terror one wound up turning into almost uh, almost four months with everything else that was around it tour wise that's insane yeah we, <laughs> that's a long yeah, time we did some super long, yeah we did super long tours it's kind of crazy when you go away and you miss entire seasons and you come back home and there's like new red lights and new construction and you completely missed all the snow and you're just like what happened yeah, that's something strange. I can't imagine being gone for for, for that long because I've been on tour once and I've spoken about it like a bunch of times. I, I was just gone for one week and it's definitely not what I had imagined it being like. Uh, you know, it was fun for what it was. I, I enjoyed my time, but it was definitely something that I was just like, man, I don't know if I could do this for like an extended period of time. Like, I don't know how people hit the road for that long. It's definitely pretty rough sometimes. Yeah, I don't know what uh, your experience was like, but I mean, it's a ton of uh, couch surfing, sleeping in the van, uh, eating at gas stations, uh, living a pretty uh, shitty, neglected life. So 
that's kind of what touring is. I mean, a lot of people think it's going to be like sightseeing and glitz and glamour and like, you know, like partying and hanging out and all that stuff does exist, but so does an insane amount of monotonous hours behind the road, very uncomfortable sleeping in the van, uh, maybe not knowing where you're going to sleep that night. Like, I mean, I love it. I, I, I've always loved it, but it definitely takes a certain type of person to enjoy it. Yeah, for me, I, I found myself uh, hating being with the people that I was with because, like, we would listen to hardcore like the whole time, and I was just like, "Dude, I'm so sick of this. I want to be in the other van uh, where they're listening to like hit the lights and fireworks. Like, like just give me a break from this because yeah. like this is what we do every night. Like the whole lineup is hardcore. Just give me a break." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we definitely. Um, fortunately, I've pretty much been able to get along with everyone very well i mean you, you live in close quarters and if you can't get along it's definitely going to make it awful um but yeah i mean everyone i've i've toured with pretty much has a super eclectic taste of music so we've always listened to like a ton of shit uh spanning so many different genres which has been awesome i mean i remember one tour where we were trying to do this thing where like every week we listen to music from a different decade. So like we were listening to music from the thirties and then the forties and then the fifties. It was pretty funny, but you know, just doing things like that. I mean, there was, there was one tour that we listened to Harry Potter book on tape for days, days, if not weeks. So mixing it up is definitely key to not losing your, your mind on tour. Yeah, for sure. And you know, like, you know, granted, that was like my first and only time ever doing that. So I feel like if I had like a little more experience and kind of knew what I was getting myself into, like I probably could have made it like more enjoyable. Yeah. Well, that's also where um, having, uh, you know, an iPod or depending on how old your touring adventure is, uh, a disc man is, is super important. Yo, I can't even imagine touring back in the day and having to carry like batteries and not having the access to like a smartphone. That sounds so so crazy. Some people are very uh, astonished when I get to tell them that uh, we used to tour with just a map, like not like printed MapQuest directions, no GPS, literally just an atlas. I used to use an atlas all the time. So, that's insane. I still have it too. That's wild. Yeah, the 2005 Batlas. And did you ha like ever have any like horror stories like showing up to shows but like them not actually happening? Uh, that has happened twice actually. Yeah, um, it's definitely not awesome at all. It's it's pretty shitty. But one time in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, we showed up for the show. And the dude just never booked it. And we actually wound up going to his house, and his mom wound up calling the cops, so we got out of there. Um, but uh, uh, that was one time. And then it happened another time in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, once again, yeah, the dude never booked it. It was supposed to be a house show. And we showed up at, at the house, and they were like, uh, yeah, there's no show here. And, um, you know, they let us hang out for a while, and I think they fed us some food and stuff, but then we just wound up leaving. But those are the only two times I can think of where there, there was no actual show. Um, we've had plenty of shows shut down before we got to play. Uh, that always sucks. But 
unfortunately not many shows that didn't actually exist. So, so but I could tell you too, back before GPS, there's definitely been times where we drove the wrong way for a good amount of time before even realizing it. That's that's a crappy feeling I can imagine. You know, you seeing like the wrong oh, yeah. the wrong signs. Like, holy shit, where are we? I, I will never forget. There was one time we were supposed to play the show, and uh, we were in Michigan, and we were supposed to play in Port Huron, Michigan. And when you're going up Michigan on the highway, I can't remember which is which, but there's a 96 and there's a 69. And um, you're coming up one. I'm going to make a guess and say that when you're coming north on, I think it's 69 from, like, Indiana, at one point it splits. And 96 goes one way and 69 goes the other. And we went the wrong direction. We went towards Grand Rapids instead of Port Huron, which is the complete wrong way. And we didn't realize until we were driving, like, an hour or two that we were going the wrong direction. And by the time we adjusted and, you know, made it back, uh, we completely missed the show. So Damn. It's like, like you kind of think, like, why would they choose so numbers that are so similar and put them right next to each other? (laughs) I know. I know. That's why I'll I'll never forget it, though. I'll never forget the fact that that's how it happened because those numbers are, like, ingrained in my brain because of that. Damn. That's crazy. It was funny. I, I also remember one time I was on tour with uh, with with uh, this band Barricade and uh, Letdown, and I was driving the middle of the night. I was just hanging out, and uh, I was driving Barricade's van, and I definitely drove the wrong way for like a good hour before realizing it. Uh, but thankfully, everyone was asleep, so I was able to fix it, and no one noticed. Yeah, you, so, you didn't have to break the bad news. Like, hey, sorry, I've been driving the wrong direction for an hour. We got to turn around. Yeah, and and I've never told them, so maybe they'll hear this and find out. Okay, yeah, but maybe. That was, that was in 2006, so I think the coast is clear. Yeah, yeah, I I don't think they can hold it against you. Um, you know, after all this time. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Um, one band. So uh, this is like going like way back, like you know, like around that time, 2006. Uh, I, I remember we have a, a mutual friend. His name's a uh, Jeff Yuma. Yes. Uh, he put me on to this band that you're playing in because obviously um, him and I, uh, you know, we both listen to CDC. And the, the way he pitched me at Daylight, he's like, "Oh, um, you know, the, the drummer of CDC, John, he drums for this other band called Daylight." He's like, "I, I think you would like him." He's like, "I'm, I'm going to book him when they come out to California, so like, you should definitely get into him." And I checked it out, and I, I thought it was awesome. And I remember you you did play that uh, tour that you guys came out west for the first time, and I, I I thought that was pretty awesome. And I was just always curious, like how you ended up doing a band, um, you know, with, with that kind of style. Uh, yeah, like how did I how did that wind up happening? Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I remember that show. I think um, if we're talking about the same show, he booked us. Um, was it actually in, was it actually in Yuma or was it down in like Brawley? Yeah, it was like Brawley or El Centro. Yeah, yeah, one of the two. Um, but yeah, that was a, a that was a, 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 we had like a couple bays in California before we flew to Australia. So um, we just, we played a couple shows out there uh, during our extended layover. Um and 
that, that was definitely one of them. We played like a house show somewhere in LA too, which was, uh, it was cool. It was pretty low attendance, but it was definitely cool. Um, but yeah, so, so that happened because, um, originally what was going to happen was, uh, there was this band, uh, from out my way called Bangerang that, uh, several of the, actually only one of the members of, of Daylight was in, but, um, Bangarang was going through some things, and originally uh, we were going to do some weird thing where I was going to start drumming for Bangarang, and the band was going to try and continue, blah, 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 blah. But I think we practiced one time, and uh, it became evident that that was not going to be the way to move forward. And so essentially from the ashes of that, um, Joe Taylor and I decided we wanted to do a, another band, a different band, and that's when we started writing the Daylight songs. Um, and that's pretty much how it was born. Um, once that other band kind of dismembered, so uh, I, I always wanted to do something different. Um, you know, I've always been a huge fan of of like. In every everything music wise not that daylight is pop punk at all but i've always been a huge fan of pop punk and and you know punk rock kind of stuff and and emo and indie and everything like that and i've always wanted to play in different bands and uh i usually and still to this day have a difficulty finding different people that want to play different things usually people are just like oh yeah you want to do a band let's do another hardcore band and, you know i've done numerous hardcore bands and I, I like to mix it up a little bit if I can so uh, it was very very refreshing and awesome to play in a band like Daylight uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it I, I thought I got more creative with my drumming and my writing and uh, I would love to do something like that again uh, I'm surprised that you guys were going to Australia so early on uh, back then because I, I had no idea like that's why you guys were on the West Coast before um, heading out to Australia. Were you guys going out there for like a festival or, do, or were you guys doing like a full tour out there? We did a, we did a full tour out there. So, um, yeah, you're not wrong. That was way, way early in the band's career to do anything. Uh, I believe it was actually our second tour and the, the first one before that was only like a week long. So somehow, somehow this, this guy found us. I mean, it's the internet so people can find people and he liked our band and was like, I want to bring you guys to Australia and kind of like explained how it would work and yada, yada, yada. And essentially he would book the shows and we would have to cover our flights and, he'd try and, you know, get us back whatever we could. And, um, I, I, you know, we had, we all had a discussion. I was like, I think this could be cool. I don't think we're going to make any money, but if, if you guys want to go see Australia, who knows if we'll ever get an opportunity again. And, you know, if this, if this dude's going to book shows, let's, let's just do it. And everyone agreed to want to do it. And we wound up going and it was awesome. It definitely was not, uh, super, fruitful like you know we wound up ha having a very poor relationship with the guy who brought us there um half the most of the band didn't like him at all and you know there was there was beef throughout the entire tour the dude was kind of a, an idiot and started fights at venues that we played with you know with the venue people with 
the people that booked the shows and it was kind of a, a mess of a tour in that degree but you know the band gained a lot of fans over there and kind of started making a, a bit of a name and they were able to fortunately go back after the fact too um, maybe even two other times and and do decently successful tours over there. But, I mean, for me, that was still my only time going to Australia. So I'm super glad I went. And it, uh, did you ever, like, did you, like, leave the band or did you just stop um, doing stuff with them? Because I, I remember seeing them, like, later on, and I noticed that you weren't drumming for them. Yeah. Um, so uh, Cold Cut started picking up a lot, and... Um, so, and Daylight was starting to pick up a lot. And there was, I mean, there was a really strange period of time between, I left the band in, in uh, 2012. I played my last show in January of 2012. And um, between 2010 and 2012, like those, those two years there, uh, I was, I was, you know, so addicted to cold cuts and growing cold cuts and screen printing that that was my biggest focus and when i wasn't doing that i was either on tour with cdc or daylight so i was stretched thin like ridiculously thin um you know trying to do these things that i loved and it got to a point where it was definitely holding both bands back in some degree and also the business. So, you know, if Daylight wanted to continue growing and, and stuff, they had to play more shows. They had to do more tours. And I, in turn, wanted to do them, but I couldn't do everything. And I was trying to get the band to do fill-ins. And they were like, yeah, we don't want to do fill-ins. And coming from a band like CDC, who I'm sure you've noticed has had many fill-ins throughout the years i understand how much that sucks and it's not fun so i was just like yo i get it um and i kind of had to make a decision that was you know like either i focus on the band or i focus on work and i just made a decision that i felt like cold cuts was a better decision for my future while playing daylight would have been awesome to continue as well. It just, it wasn't feasible for my future. You know, I've, I've already toured a lot. I, I didn't need to necessarily continue touring. And, um, would I have kicked myself in the ass had the band become like the next Foo Fighters or something? Probably. But you know, it's like, that was a, a, a risk I didn't want to take. I didn't want to sacrifice everything I had put into the business thus, thus far. And, um, so I unfortunately, you know, left the band. Um, I mean, they knew it was, they knew that was pretty much the way it was going to be. So, um, but that was kind of the, the only, the only path that I saw is making sense for my future. But Okay. Yeah, yeah no, I, that, that, that's totally fair. And I hope they understood your decision, but I, 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 I wanna, oh, yeah. uh, just want to jump back. I real, mean, oh, <laughs> go ahead. They were probably they were probably ready to kick me out too if I if I was gonna say like, hey no you know I still want to do the band they were probably like yeah it's not gonna happen so they would have probably kicked me out so it was pretty much yeah it was probably at that point it was like uh, yeah you're probably quitting you're getting kicked out so it was easier just to to quit okay but yeah no we're all still cool we're all still very cool 
Okay. So going back, um, you, you said uh, it was like around uh, 2006, uh, you quit uh, 7-Eleven and that was the last time you had a real job. So from that point un yeah. uh, until you started Cold Cuts, uh, uh, was that just, uh, you know, downtime and like, you know, you slowly um, coming with the idea to, to start this business or were you just like working odd jobs in between then until 2010? I don't even think I was working odd jobs. I just was touring and, uh, you know, I would come home and I don't know what I was doing. I was probably just booking tours or whatever, but I, I can tell you that during that period of time, I don't know if you've ever gone like a long period of time without a job, but I essentially was like without a job for, I mean, I guess my life since then has been without a job, but I wasn't working for like a year and a half because I didn't start screen printing until uh like well over a year after i left 7-eleven and during that time when i wasn't on tour i just felt like the biggest loser like it was crazy like i don't i don't know if you've ever been without a job but i felt like a loser like a huge loser like you'd come home from tour and you'd be like ah okay you like decompress or whatever and then uh you know like a couple days later i'd be like what am i doing with my life what the hell is going on uh, you know, you're just sitting there, you don't have money, you're in your mom's basement, just feeling like a big sack of shit. But I did that for like a year, uh, a little over a year. And then uh, I I didn't really, I'll tell you, the, the idea wasn't really something that I concocted. It's not like I was like, oh, this is totally my plan. Uh, we were literally, we were on tour in California and we had been printing a good amount of merch at that point in time, you know, it was 2007. That was kind of when we really started, I guess, in a way becoming like a merch monster as far as a band, or at least as far as I was considered at the time. And, uh, I, I had always enjoyed screen printing. I'd done it a little bit before. Like I printed some shirts at the tail end of high school, um, for some local bands and stuff like that. And for my band, uh, I had done a couple I had always operated CDC's web store, um, so I had screen printed some uh, envelopes that we mailed shirts out and stuff with, uh, and uh, I always thought it was cool. So we were in California, and I went on Craigslist, and I looked for someone selling a screen printing press, and I wound up buying a press off some dude up in the Bay Area, and then I spent the rest of the tour like trying to burn screens in people's basements uh, and trying to print in people's living rooms. And that's kind of how it was born. Uh, I came home from that tour. I set up in my mom's garage, started printing shirts there, quickly learned what my issues were, started upgrading, and it just kind of like steamrolled over the course of the next couple of years. That's wild. Uh, and th this press that you bought from the guy off Craigslist, like I I'm guessing it wasn't like a big one if you're able to take it with you on tour and take it into people's houses. Oh yeah, no, not at all. It was a tabletop press. So uh, you basically, you're supposed to put it on top of a table. And um, so we were able to put it on top of the loft in the back inside the van. Uh, and I had no idea what I was getting into. You know, the only thing I ever printed with before that was like a speedball kit from Michael. So it was just like some frame with, you know, with water-based acrylic ink and stuff like that. And 
I had no idea what I was buying. I definitely got ripped off. But um, yeah, that uh, we just I, I just remember I was I tried burning screens up in Seattle a couple of days later. Uh, they didn't work, so I tried again in Denver a few days after that. I finally got a good screen, and then by the time we went into Indiana, uh, I was like, "Hey, can I print in your living room?" And I dragged my press into his living room. And we went to, like, Walmart or something and bought a bunch of shirts. And then I printed shirts in his living room, and we sold them that night at the show. And I was like, this is incredible. It was, like, the coolest thing in the world to me. And back then, you know, printing shirts in that uh, person's living room, how did you dry the shirts? Did you just, like, kind of, like, just let them lay there? Did you have, like, a blow dryer? No. So the the press I bought actually had a little flash. So I was actually able to able to cure them um i highly doubt it was proper i'm sure all those prints were trash i'm sure it all washed out but i was able able to get some semblance of a cure done in his uh in, in his living room so it was at least a bastardized version of what i still do today okay that's wild okay so you, you do that stuff uh on tour you get home set up in your mom's garage at uh, what point did you start seeing success and you know kind of think like oh like this could actually be a move like I, I could actually turn this into something instead of just like this hobby or a way for my band to get merge yeah so kind of immediately i was like i gotta get better at this so um i, I just wanted to print all my friends bands so you know i started printing barricade stuff i started printing letdown stuff piece of steel stuff um and for printing for those bands, it started expanding out, and people started telling, you know, their friends. And you know, I started printing Backtrack and Fire and Ice and uh, and all this stuff, Brace War. And I did this for. I probably printed. I printed in my mom's garage for like a year and a half, and then I moved out of there into my practice space, and I printed out of there for about a year and a half. So I did almost three years um actually it was less than that it was it was probably two and a half years that i printed like that and um i I don't know man it just kept growing it's not like i was ever like oh like this is totally going to be my success but uh you know i i would be going on tour the the reason the thing that kind of kicked me into this is i would leave for tour and i would have people that were either placing their orders way ahead of time so I could print it or waiting to the last minute when I was able to get home and print it so that I could get them their merch for tour. So I had people that were like going out of their way to have me do it. At least I felt that way. Maybe it's just how the cookie crumbled, but I felt like people were going out of the way to try and have me print their stuff over other people. And I was like, hey, this is clearly something that's working. People want to use me. Uh, and you know, I at that point because daylight was starting, I started printing for Transit, Tiger's Jaw, Run for Cover, and the Wonder Years, and all that stuff. And Balance Composure, and uh, I was starting to print a lot of stuff, and I was by myself, and I I was in this like oversized bedroom. I knew I needed more space if I was to continue, um, and I I pretty much just remember having some conversations and being like, Hey, listen, I want to do everything for you guys for a couple of the bands and um that kind of cemented it and in 2010 i did a tour that was like three and a half months long and 
as soon as I came back from that tour, I got my LLC and started renting a real space okay. in a warehouse. And that was May of 2010. It's actually been 10 years this year since I became an official business. And uh, I was going to do like a bigger celebration. So I know I was going to do a bigger celebration this year. But then coronavirus hit and <laughs> it screwed up everything. So I haven't really been able to uh, truly celebrate uh, being a business for 10 years as I, would, as I wanted to. But um, yeah, it's now been 10 years. But, uh, you know, making that jump into renting a warehouse was kind of petrifying. But I had all these people interested in doing it. Uh, that's when I actually fully set up the web store for the first time. And that was kind of the actual true beginnings of me doing cold cuts. Because before that, it didn't have a name. It was just me printing and people just hitting me up. But May of 2010, it got its name. It became a real thing. It became work. It became my business. Which is awesome to, to uh, you know be around for for ten solid years. That's uh, you know pretty insane for you know you starting it up and you know, this thing just kind of like you know like grew from like this like you know passion that you had. I I think it's like super awesome and uh, I I definitely uh, you know have ordered stuff from you before in the past. Um, you know before I ever talked to you. So I I think that's cool that you guys are still around and you know uh, still killing it because I, I uh, you know uh, uh, saw that you guys are you know, doing like new newer tires draw stuff. Um, I, I, I like, you know, the, the, like all the different like types of bands you have on your website and uh, web store. Cause I, I used to work for a merch company out here in um, Orange County. And, um, it was like, a you know, I, I got in through like a mild roommate and, uh, at the time they were like a startup and I like, uh, you know, I, I was never really proud of the bands that we worked with. I was just like, oh god, like I, I just like you, even like looking at the the designs. Like I was like, this stuff's kind of whack. But I, I always like wish to work it. <laughs> and this sounds kind of bad now, like uh, you know, talking about it um, after the fact. But I, I always wish that I worked at like another like company that had like a cooler roster of bands, so I, I could look at cool merch all day <laughs> instead of like these like super whack T-shirts that I could not believe that people were like you know like going crazy over like you know like like selling out of these. these it's just like the worst design. I've ever seen in my entire life, like the corniest stuff that I could not believe that people would actually would wear. Um, but, but, but yeah, so I, I think it's cool that you're able to do something like cold cuts and like, you know, keep it going for so long. And like, I, I actually think it's awesome. Just like, you know, just the, uh, just the, all the different types of bands that you have on there. I, I, I think it's awesome. Like super solid lineup. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I just, I've always, obviously I'll work with like any band, um, you know, uh, I'm down with pretty much working with almost anybody. I definitely prefer to work with bands that you know, I actually mesh well with and I like their music and stuff like that. Uh, not saying I, I don't work with bands that you know I don't listen to, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's definitely like the roster on Cold Cuts is as eclectic as my music taste is. Like it's Sometimes it's goofy going on there and I'll see people like you know, when I would pick orders all the time years ago, I'd be like, oh, this person ordered like a balanced composure shirt and a Wins the Plague shirt. I'd be like, oh, it's super weird. And I'd be like, that's probably what I listened to like last night, you know? Mm. <laughs> like, I would listen to both of those bands. So the, the roster is as strange as my musical taste is. Or I don't think it's strange, actually. I just think it's, you know, diverse. So 
that's one thing I've certainly always enjoyed. Hell yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, I, I, I think it's awesome and. Uh, it's a good representation because uh, yeah like like i said i look at the uh, bands that y- you deal with and uh like i like the majority of them so i think it's super cool thank you thank you so moving into th- that uh you know first spot after the 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 practice space um and uh when did you um have to like upgrade your equipment because like are, are you doing like you know like auto presses now or are you doing stuff by hand still yeah, so it was still, when I first moved in there uh, in, in May, it was still me by myself. And then I eventually hired someone probably in June, um, especially because I had to go on tour and I didn't want things to stop. So uh, I hired someone. And then by October, I feel like I had like three people working for me, maybe four. And uh, at that point, too, I had already began negotiations on purchasing an automatic press. And in November, I actually bought the press and started dealing with my landlord for taking a different spot in the warehouse, like in the complex, a different warehouse in the complex, a, a different unit, I should say. And in November, I had the, the machine dropped off. I had some guy come out and set it up over the course of November. And in December of 2010, I moved everything over into a different unit, taking more space. So I was in my original unit for about six months before I upgraded into a bigger unit with more space and got my first automatic up and running. Uh, and then from there, there was a whole chunk of series of different milestones like getting a bigger dryer getting a second automatic stuff like that uh expanding the web store because the web store started off being you know one shelf and now it is significantly more than one shelf but uh it's it's strange to see that growth as well but yeah there's there's a plethora of different milestones that we hit but for six months is all it took me to grow out of that first space and probably have about four or five employees going from zero to, to about four or so. And when you got that, uh, that automatic press, did you already know how to operate something like that? Or did you have to go on YouTube and try to figure it out? Cause I was just always curious. Cause I, I remember working at the spot out here when they kind of moved, um, cause like they used to outsource their printing, but, um, they actually um, ended up bringing those people on board with the company and just brought it into, um, their warehouse. And I was always just curious, like how those people like learned how to do that stuff. Cause like, I would just like watch it and just be like, wow, this is, looks so insane. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I had no clue. No clue what I was doing. I didn't know how to run it at all. Uh, the, the thing, though, is like the, the person who I had set it up kind of did a crash course. If I had, um, I bought my machine used, so I bought it off another company. Uh, but usually when you buy a machine new, uh, the, the company that you purchased it from will do the installation and then will also do training. Uh, unfortunately, I bought off someone used so I didn't get that training aspect but the guy that we paid to install it gave gave us a crash course and then it was just a ton of trial and error you know it's it's so much interesting when you it's so, it's so interesting going from manual printing to automatic printing just because what you can do on the fly 
in manual printing is a set rigid control with automatic. So automatic is better in the long run because once you dial it in, you get it accurate. It, it's going to be a workhorse. It's going to keep going. It's, it's as fast as you are. But manual printing is so much more flexible. Uh, you don't you don't have the same flexibility. So that was a huge learning curve. Uh, we, we weren't able to fudge things as much. Like We weren't able to like pull the squeegee a little bit harder to the right to make sure it covered. Like, we just had to be so much more precise. And, uh, you know, it kind of it kind of kicks you into becoming a better printer. Because when you're, when you're a manual printer, you don't need to be as good because you can figure out ways that you can work with your machine. Uh, but you got to be much more precise and accurate running an automatic. And it took a long time to kind of figure out. I, I probably only operated the, the automatic for like six months or so. And then I started diving into doing like more of the sales and actually operating the business aspect of it. Um, and I wound up hiring a, an experienced printer who knew how to print, which also helped us leaps and bounds. But when we were trying to do it ourselves, I, I like I don't know how much you know about printing, but I, I'll never forget within like the first month of getting it, we had a seven color title plate job to do. And my operator at the time literally spent seven hours trying to line up the print and couldn't get it lined up. Um, so wasted an entire day and printed nothing. That's uh, insane. No, I'm. I never. Yeah, it was. It was rough. Yeah, I, I I never dealt with any of the actual printing because like like um the, the way we had it set up um at the time when I worked there um it, it was like this this giant open warehouse so like on one side they kind of had like the uh, the online section with like you know like that's where I I kind of worked was like you know just picking and packing all like the the online stuff and dealing with uh, the merch that came in for bands that were on tour so I I never really dealt with the printing but I was I I would always go and like kind of just like watch because like I would actually have them print um my own merch so i i'd always just like be curious yeah. and kind of like bugging them like hey like when are you gonna print my stuff and i i would just kind of just like watch the process because it was always just cool to me because like to, to see my blanks come in and then like you know just kind of like watch the whole process happen i i was i was like pretty pretty awesome to to see from like a weird idea that i had to now it's actually you know like a real garment that somebody could wear yeah yeah it's definitely cool man it's like a, it's like an episode of house made yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's always um been interesting to me, but but yeah, but that, that, I I think it's super cool that you're able to uh, you know build it up to this you know business that's been going for ten years. That's like that's a whole decade. That's insane. It's 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 wild. Um, this decade flew by. It's been much faster than I had ever anticipated. But uh, you know, I've learned a lot. Uh, I have a lot of goals. There's a lot of things we've been changing. A lot of things trying to accomplish and um you know i just have i have a lot of plans and aspirations for the future hell yeah um one uh, piece of merch that i always uh, thought was interesting uh a uh, couple years ago uh super heaven uh, you guys did a moon rock do you remember that the rock yeah oh yeah i'll never forget it uh, do, do you remember when that was presented? Like, did they come to you and be like hey like we want to sell these moon rocks do you remember how that all went down yeah well, yeah, I, I, I remember perfectly. I, I also remember, I actually listened to Jake's podcast on, with you, um, and I think Jake talked about this. I think you asked him about it, too. Uh-huh. But, um, so, that was, a, 
it's something hilarious, and B, it was really frustrating at the same time. So, what happened was I, we were at the shop, and I had literally just gotten this laser engraver not long before, and uh, Joe, who's in you know Super Heaven, uh, made was making a joke. He was like, he's like, hey, I always wanted to do rocks, you know, like Super Heaven rocks. You know, like a super corny fucking joke like that. And I was just, and you know, we laughed about it. And I said, dude, I just got this laser graver. I literally could probably make you rocks. And we, we were like, whoa, let's, let's do it. So, um, as Jake said, uh, my, my landlord literally has a rock bed in front of our complex. So it's all around the entire thing. So we walked out there and we grabbed a couple rocks and we brought it back in and we did some test engraving. And it turned out pretty cool. And uh, so we took a picture of the one and, you know, we put them online for some goofy amount of money. I, I forget what it was. I think it had to do with a release date or something like that. Um, like 517 or something. I don't remember. But um, so we, we sold them and they sold pretty well. Better than I was expecting. I think better than any of us were expecting. Um, and then it came time to actually produce the rocks. And I was like, oh, this will be no problem. I'll just grab some out of the bed. And then I realized pretty quickly that not all rocks are created equal. Um, so we would, we would engrave some and you couldn't see it. We would engrave some and it would do nothing. Uh, we had, uh, we engraved a ton of rocks that looked awful. It did, it did not come out good. And I was like, oh. What are we going to do? So I then started going out to different streams looking for rocks. I, I, I did this. I spent hours looking for rocks. And um, I found I would find a bunch of rocks, bring them back, only to find out that, like, you know, maybe six out of the 30 rocks I brought back actually looked good. And then so my arc guy, uh, his friend was actually – studying at the time to be like a geologist or something like that and basically like a rock nerd and so we co we contacted him we're like hey we need to find rocks to engrave and i was like this is the kind and we would send him pictures and he'd be like oh i'm pretty sure this is this rock and it was sending us like like geological maps of southeastern pennsylvania of where we could find certain types of rocks so I was literally going out based upon these maps for like a couple of days trying to find certain types of rocks that would engrave properly. And uh, I kept hitting all these dead ends and I was getting so frustrated. And eventually I just contacted one of those uh, like landscaping places that sells like river rock and stuff. And I, I went there with a five gallon bucket and I was like, you know, I need to get some of these river rocks or whatever because we found out that those worked pretty well. And, uh, and he's like, how many do you need? And I was like, I literally just need this five-gallon bucket. And he's like, oh, you can just take them then. And I was like, cool, I've been digging around in, in like, riverbeds for, like, weeks trying to find the appropriate rocks, and I could have just gone here the entire time. So I went back and, and fished through and tried to find the best ones, because uh, we needed a flat surface as much as possible, and I something that was way too big and I just found a bunch of rocks and we went and engraved them and most of those turned out good and it took weeks to actually get the good rocks that we used but 
finally got it done. That's insane. So, I had no idea that it, it would like you know, it was that much trouble for you to find these rocks to fulfill these orders. <laughs> That's insane that you were out there like in the wilderness, like looking for rocks for these orders. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, dude, straight up, I would I would like go out in the middle of the day, like what what I would normally take as a lunch break, and be trying to dig through the through like a, a creek bed looking for rocks. It was so annoying. So like where it kind of feels like people got something that was you know zero cost to make there was a ton of time put into that so i may not have paid physically for the rocks but i paid it my time that's for sure yeah yeah for sure so, that, that that's insane but that's that's a great story i'm i'm glad i i brought that up and asked you about that because i i had no idea that you went to that much tr- trouble to to get these rocks made yeah i was i was definitely kicking myself in the ass at the end when the dude at the landscaping place was like yeah, just go take it. I was like, I could have saved so much time. But whatever. It's it's a funny story. You live and you learn. So For sure. All right. Well, you've, uh, you know, Cold Cuts has been around for 10 years. CDC, about 17. Um, well, obviously, we're still in the, uh, the middle of this uh, pandemic, and hopefully, we'll uh, get through it. But um, once things, uh, you know, with uh, coronavirus, COVID nineteen, um, you know, gets taken care of, um, what plans do you have uh, for CDC? Like, what would you like to do with the band in the future? And also with your business, obviously, you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, you had a bigger celebration planned. But uh, you know, plans were you know kind of put on hold because of what's going on. So can you talk about like what you would like to do to um, you know celebrate um, you being a, a a business for ten years? Yeah, uh, I mean, I was just going to make a bigger stink about it. I was trying to find all like old pictures and stuff, but I've just been so strapped for time, and I haven't really truly been able to it to do it. But at the same time, you know, it's technically uh, ten years of cold cuts all year long, so. I have more time to figure that out later. Um, but, I mean, you know, there's not much that I actually have on the horizon as far as uh, cold cuts plans. There's there's stuff that I've been trying to do for years. Um, it just takes the right, the right people and the right time to make it happen. Uh, and I'm hoping that I can get through some of that sooner than later. We've been, we've been kind of going through a huge change because of, you know, the virus. Um, it's kind of been forcing our hand, which is nice to, to make the changes that we, we should be and, uh, trying to just come out of this as a bigger and better company. Um, well, at least better, maybe not bigger, but, um, and as far as the band's concerned, uh, we had to obviously cancel that Euro tour, which is a shame. So I'm hoping that next year we'll have a chance to, go back to Europe and do that tour. Uh, there's a ton of places that are technically on my bucket list for CDC. We have, you know, many countries and, and a couple continents left to play that I really want to check off. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to do it. Um, you know, CDC has always tried to strive to go places that other people don't. And um, that's still something that's on my agenda for the future so hopefully we'll be able to do some of that and maybe uh, uh, another u.s tour because i feel like there'd be you know people across the u.s um who probably haven't had a chance to see you guys uh play so i i, I think yeah. it'd be cool 
I mean, it's like, I think the, you know, now I have, I have two kids now and obviously uh, business is what it is. Um, you know, uh, so because of that and, you know, my family, it's difficult to get out for any sort of extended period of time. My wife and I kind of, uh, made agreements with stuff like that. So I probably won't be able to do too much touring that's over a week or 10 days, which obviously makes touring harder, but, um, there's definitely talks of trying to do like a West Coast run or something like that. And I don't think I'll ever see a full U.S., at least not anytime soon. Um, but it definitely would love to do a West Coast thing. It's just a lot more difficult for CDC now because we don't have, we don't have a popular name. You know, there's, there's tons of people that have no clue who we are. There's generations of people that haven't seen us play and don't even know about us. So, um, if we were to come out there, I would want to go out there in support of another band who I feel like would actually draw people. Because if CDC tries to go out, it's going to be like older fans. And that's cool, but I don't think we'll, you know, I don't think it'll really bring out a lot of people. And I think it'll be a lot harder for us to make ends meet, if you will. But um, yeah, so I, I would hope to be able to do a West Coast thing with with some sort of younger band that has pool and hopefully, you know, get some of a different generation hearing us for the first time, which would be very cool. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I definitely um, think that, uh, you know, these like regional tours are more of like what's in these days. Like, yeah, there are bands that still do full U S tours, but I feel like the more common thing is for bands to kind of do it regionally these days. So I, I, I would like and hope that at some point in the future, you guys are able to make that work. Yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, we, we went out there, the last time we were out there was 2016, I believe. And we did that tour with these uh, Streets and uh, World of Pain played a couple of the shows at the end of it. But that, that was the last time we were out there now, and that's crazily, it was four years ago now. So um, time flies. Time, time absolutely flies now. Yeah. Okay. All right. And sorry, one last thing. So you're, uh, you know, yeah. um, you filled in for drums for a, a band called Payback, which I think is like super awesome because that is cool to see that you're, um, you know, still in tune with what's going on with um, some of the current bands. So I, I was always, um, I always thought that was awesome. It's like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I'm obviously like, uh, uh, you know, PA band. And I, I was just curious how you linked up with those guys and uh, were able to help them out and fill in for that show that, that I saw. Yeah, yeah, I played uh, I played two shows uh, with Payback. Um, uh, I was trying, we were trying to do more, um, but you know my my schedule was so hectic that uh, they got someone else to do it, which you know makes sense. But um, uh, basically, I've known Keith for a very long time. I've known Andrew for a very long time. I've known Anthony for uh, several years now as well, and they just kind of hit me up and were like, Hey, you know, we got the, this new band that's, that's trying to play some shows. Do you want to, do you want to play? And I was like, yeah, sure. So they just sent me the, the songs and I, I learned them and Anthony and I got together and jammed a bunch of times and, uh, got the songs down and then we played a couple of shows and it was awesome. Uh, I definitely love to do it again. Um, you know, I don't get to play as much now as I used to, but, uh, yeah, playing with, Payback was great. 
you know, it's it's awesome music and people love it. So people love Keith. So everyone goes off, and it's really cool to see. Hell yeah! Well, that's uh, that that's awesome. I'm I'm, I'm glad that you're still uh, willing to you know help out the um, younger kids and um, still you know show up and participate and do stuff for your scene. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, dude, playing shows is great. It's it's my favorite thing to do. I definitely want to, you know, I, I still want to get a a band together that's constantly able to like play shows and open shows because I would love to just be able to do that several times a year uh that's the one thing that's not fun about tdc is that uh the guy who currently sings for us is he lives in rochester and it's very difficult to get us to play anything and we're just definitely not around to play anything that's like local so i definitely want to get something together that i'm able to play shows locally and just have a blast dude why don't you hit up um uh, joseph kane and start a new band. I, I I always liked him on the guitar. I would love to. Uh, if he didn't live all the way up in Wilkes-Barre, it'd be a lot easier. Oh, okay. He lives like a good. He lives like a good hour and a half north, and I I have no idea what he even does on the day to day anymore. But I saw him a couple months ago. We got our kids together, and that was cool. Actually, that was probably last year at this point. But um. Yeah, I definitely don't see him enough, so that'd be a great excuse to see him for sure. All right, well, uh, maybe you guys can uh, link up and uh, start something, and you know, just every once in a while, since uh, I feel like Wilkes-Barre is a lot closer than uh, where your singer lives. Yes, for sure, it definitely is. But all right, well. John, I'm so happy that we were finally able to do this with no issues this time. So, like, seriously, I, I, I want to thank you. This has, like, been really awesome. Like, I've, uh, you know, been a fan of CDC, loved, uh, you know, you when you're in daylight, uh, you know, a fan of your business. So, like, I'm seriously like, grateful that you were down to come on and talk to me. Uh, you're very welcome. I hope it sounded fine the entire time. Um, there's no issues but uh yeah i'm glad this worked out i appreciate you having me on it's, it's cool that people are even interested in, in talking to me and hopefully listening to me so thank you for sure all right and before we go is there anything you want to shout out or plug uh i'm always bad at this part um so no not really um i don't know check out new bands all the time when we can go to shows go to shows uh you know support your scene all that stuff great all right well well seriously thank you again this has been awesome uh thank you guys for tuning in this has been another episode of the jamer k podcast always on time